Hayek would have been worried that the lockdowns and other mandates and interventions were done without adequate understanding and appreciation of the complexity of the economy and society that are being locked down. And welcome back to another episode of the Essential Scholars Podcast. I'm Rosemarie Fike, your host, and today I'm going to continue my conversation with Don Boudreaux about the work of F.A. Hayek, and we're going to talk a little bit more about his ideas and how they apply in a more modern context. What kind of problems are we facing today where we might need a healthy dose of Hayek to help us sort through them? Don is a professor of economics at George Mason University. He is the Martha and Nelson Getchell Chair for the Study of Free Market Capitalism at the Mercatus Center. Um, he is also a senior fellow at the Fraser Institute and the author of our Essential Scholars, our Essential Hayek book. Um, you might have read his blog, Cafe Hayek, or one of his regular columns in the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, uh, but we're very excited to have him back to talk about Hayek some more. Welcome back, Don. Thanks. It's fun. So one of the things that we kind of left off or what I started to say in the introduction is, um, you know, what are idea, what are some areas today where Hayek's ideas could really be useful? What kind of policy con conversations can we really benefit from some Hayek? So there's a specific answer and a more general answer. The yeah. specific answer is, and this is still kind of a, deep surprise to people of my of my generation and, and, and older uh, the, the the return of of uh, socialism as a, uh, as a as a favorable idea in the minds of a lot of people a lot younger um, you know it's it's you know, it's kind of shocking to those of us who were so uh, uh, gleeful when we watched as much younger people, the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 and the collapse of, of the Soviet Union just a few years later. Um, uh, but now people are talking favorably as if well, socialism is, is, is well, let's, let's try socialism. We, we, you know, we, yeah, we know in the past academically it didn't work out, but we, we'll get it right this time. It's so, not just a small percentage of young people, depending on what poll you look at, it's like 50 to 60% of younger individuals really support moving away from a market-based economy. Good point. And, and so I think this is a very troubling development. And one thing we didn't talk about in our, our, our first uh, podcast, but we can mention it now, is uh, uh, some of Hayek's most important work, all of his work coheres, it ties together, but some of his most important work was done during the 1930s and early 1940s on the uh, what was called the impossibility of socialist calculation. Uh, it, so there was, there, there was something back then in the first half of the 20th century called the socialist calculation debate. And for listeners, um, you might want to go back and listen to the podcast with Chris Coyne on the Austrian school if you don't quite remember what the socialist calculation debate is. But Don, please talk about Hayek's role in this important conversation. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure... Uh, anything Chris said was, was, was more accurate and 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 and, and, and deeper than what, what I'm going to say, but uh, I, I also sure will will agree uh, 
so in, in 1920, Hayek's mentor, Ludwig von Mises, wrote a, fam a now famous article saying, look, all these socialists, um, uh, they, have never, they have not explained how is it that a socialist economy, the, the, the producers in a socialist economy, will know how to produce all the things that consumers want? Forget about knowing what to produce. Let's assume that socialist planners know that consumers want hamburgers and, and, and hot dogs and furniture. And they all, but how are they going to do it? There are many different ways to produce any of these, any of these things. And, and if, if you don't produce them, in the most efficient ways, and resources are going to be wasted, meaning that we'll have fewer resources to produce outputs for consumers. And so Mises said the, the, the way this problem is solved in the capitalist economy, in a market economy, is through market prices. We talked about in the, in the first time together, we talked about the importance of market prices. So market prices that can exist only when you have private property in capital goods, when, when a producer of a machine sells the machine to the highest bidder, uh, producers, uh, owners of raw materials, sell those raw materials to the highest bidder. Uh, those resulting prices tell producers how scarce one particular input or intermediate good is compared to how scarce alternative intermediate goods or resources are. And by being guided by these relative prices, producers can pretty much get right uh, how, how best to produce things. Well, in socialism, because they, they promise to eliminate uh, private property in the means of production, you're going to eliminate market prices in the means of production. No one denies that. That's the point. It's one of the points of it. And so Hayek said, uh, 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 Hayek taking off of you know, Mises, uh, he said, uh, yeah, that, 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 that's right. Uh, in, with, with socialism, the, the, the disruption, the, the, the suppression in this case, it's pure socialism, the absolute elimination of the price system means that there'll be no way to rationally calculate how best to produce different goods and services. And that will mean a vast amount of waste and, 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 and poverty. But and, don't we have experts under socialism? Aren't the experts aren't going to be in charge? And aren't so, the people who have experience making automobiles going to be the automobiles are? Yeah. So, so Hayek made a big deal. I think he's absolutely correct. That what, what experts know, experts are experts in engineering. So an expert engineer can know the alternative ways of producing an automobile. You know, well, we can use this kind of metal to produce an engine. We can use this other kind of metal to produce an engine. Uh, and then the first engine will have this property and the second engine will have that second property. Experts can know that. Experts can't possibly, experts in how to build a car, can't possibly know what the supply of tin is relative to aluminum, relative to the... To, to the supply of, of, of carbon fiber relative to the supply of magnesium, magnesium. And you need to know these relative scarcities in order to know which resources to use most intensely compared to which resources to conserve for, for uh, 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 other uses. And th there's no expertise. There can be no expertise in that precisely because the knowledge of all these relative scarcities is literally spread across the across the globe and so we, we need to rely upon people on the spot to uh, access the local knowledge of how scarce a particular uh, material is compared to uh, other materials we need to rely upon uh, upon people around the globe to access those things and then to convey that knowledge to the people who need it and how do they convey it? well they convey it in the market through 
buying and selling. The resulting prices conveys the knowledge as we talked about in our earlier discussion. Without, with socialism, because it eliminates prices, you don't get that conveyance. And so I started, this, this, this is a particular, if, if, if people would understand today what Hayek wrote, Hayek and Mises wrote about the impossibility of rational economic calculation under socialism, they really understood it, that would uh, uh, vastly temper a lot of the enthusiasm that people have for, for, social, for socialism. It, it's just unworkable as an economic system. Um, and, 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 and let me add, it doesn't, in order, it, it doesn't have to be full-on complete socialism in order for the unworkability to kick in. The moment we start uh, obstructing the, the ability of prices to reflect relative scarcities, we throw inefficiency, more inefficiency than otherwise exists into the economic system, meaning more resources are being wasted, more opportunities for production are, are, are being foregone. And, 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 you know, so if you only do a little bit of intervention, you're not going to destroy the economic system. You have just a little bit of, of, of inefficiency. You might not even notice it. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not there. And at some points, it's going to become noticeable. And so, number one, Hayek's... Uh, uh, argument about the unworkability of socialism would be something that I think is something I think would be really relevant today for mm -hmm. people to take more cognizance of. A more general point is it's one I mentioned in the earlier discussion that you and I had, Rosemary's, is Hayek's appreciation of the complexity of the economy. Uh, uh, the, the, the economy looks simple to us because it works so well and because we have aggregate statistics on it. oh well the expert can go to the go to you know some some government agency online and find out uh you know what gdp is this month or what the inflation rate is this month what the what how much steel is used to produce automobiles as opposed to how much steel is used to produce farm tractors we can get these data and that makes it look really simple but all of these data that we have access to however useful they are they themselves are, are aggregate statistics. Beneath these data are uh, a, a vast amount of individual complex decision-making that gives rise to these, to these numbers. And no genius, no, no expert, no matter how intelligent and, and hardworking, can possibly understand uh, all the processing and the complexity of the processes that give rise to the the the, the economy that makes our lives possible. Just, so just appreciating the fact that the world, and, and specifically the economy, is much more complex than it, it appears. It's much more complex than simply saying labor and management and government, uh, it's, uh, you know, the steel industry, the auto industry, the leisure and entertainment industry. It's much more complex than saying these words. And if we fail to understand that complexity, then we we, 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 we we would tend to think of the economy as being very similar to like a child's set of building blocks. Well, you know, a child's set of building you, you, you can deconstruct this particular uh, arrangement of building blocks and reconstruct them in another way, which might be better. But when you understand that the economy is far more complex than you know, children's building block arrangement, you understand the dangers of trying to rearrange society in the way that a lot of people want to rearrange society, it's going to create create uh, uh, un uh, horrible unintended consequences. 
So from, from Hayek's perspective, given this very complex nature of the economy, more complex that even, than even economists can understand, really, uh, what, what advice would he offer for economists or what role did he view the economist as playing in society? So the the role that he envisioned for the the economist as as scholar as theorist as opposed to the economist as as public spokesperson was to study the spontaneous order of the economy, uh, but to do it in recognition of the of, of this complexity. There's still a lot we don't we, we, we don't know. And there's still a lot of, you know, we, we, we don't understand the full full ways in which different economic incentives interact with each other to create to create unintended outcomes. Uh, Hayek uh, was a big fan, although he himself didn't do a lot of it. He was a big fan, I think appropriately so, of economic history. Well done. Um, using what we know about using what we economic theory tells us about about what happens when you have different economic institutions and economic changes we can go back in economic history and and make better sense of of the the, the, the facts that we learn from history we can reinterpret those facts and maybe get insights and we certainly get more insights from them when they're better interpreted the role that he had and, and he was both he was more of a more of a theorist. Uh, he didn't write a whole lot for the general public, a little bit, not a whole lot. But he recognized it was, there was an appropriate role for the economist as, 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 as public spokesperson. That role, uh, Hayek argued, was, not surprisingly, what we just said a moment ago, was to remind the general public of how complex society is and, and to, to um, warn the general public uh, against uh, utopian schemes. It sounds good. It's utopian to say, well, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, 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 we'll take all the money that the rich have, and you know, we'll build, you know, infrastructure. We'll redistribute it. Sounds good, uh, and, and and you know, someone can imagine it all working out in our heads. We can imagine almost anything. And Hayek basically warned us. He said the, the economist should to tell people that what they can imagine in their heads does not necessarily map onto what can be achieved in reality. So what do you think Hayek would say today in terms of, you know, is he optimistic or pessimistic about our, whether we're on the road to serfdom? I think this is speculative, of course, I think if he were alive today, uh, I think he would be pessimistic. Um, but it's interesting that toward the end of his life, he was actually optimistic. You know, he lived long enough but he ta he lived long enough to see the collapse of of, of 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 communism in the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. He died in 1992. Uh, but uh, uh, he, in the late in, in the mid and late 1980s, he was still writing some stuff. And I just happened to read a newly published for the first time a version of his closing remarks to a 1984 meeting of the Mont Pelerin Society in Paris. And in there, he expressed optimism. He said, you know, he says the, the developments in recent years, by which he meant the acceptance, the growing acceptance of, 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 of resurgence of Austrian economics. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the, the fact that he got the Nobel Prize and, uh, uh, you know, 
public choice economics was becoming more accepted. Jim Buchanan would win the Nobel Prize two years later in 1986. Um, these and, and so he was he was he was in, uh, made optimistic by uh, the young scholars that he saw at that at that time. And and he said, you know, if we can hold out for another 15 years, uh, he, he thought the prospects for the world would be would be great. And this is before the actual collapse of of the of the Berlin Wall. Um, but I think today he would be he would be pessimistic. Uh, you know, he would look at the this new enthusiasm that we talked about a moment ago for socialism. He would look at the uh, new enthusiasm that exists not only on the political left but increasingly on the political right in the United States for industrial policy, which is simply another form of socialism light. Right? We're not going to plan the whole economy, just significant parts of it. Uh, he would look at this, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure he would interpret this as as reason for pessimism. What's what's happening? Uh, that why did I spend my life uh, explaining the dangers of intervening into the complex social order that is the market economy, only to have people now talk about these interventions as if they're easy to carry out? Uh, um, and, and 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 so that's the world we're in now. Um, it's important, I think, to add. Uh, to, to, to discuss what Hayek meant and didn't mean by the road to serfdom, because it's often misunderstood. Hayek did not mean by the road to serfdom what many people mistake him to have meant. He did not mean that once the government takes the first step of intervention that's inconsistent with classical liberal principles, uh, down, you know, toward that toward serfdom, that we're destined to wind up. Uh, where the Soviet Union uh, was in, in, in the mid part of the 20th century. It's not what he meant. Hayek says instead that uh, if we continue to believe, there are many different ways to, to, to put what he meant by the road to surf, and this is one of the ways I like to put it. If, if, if people continue to acquiesce in having the government violate classical liberal principles, to, and having the government to, to intervene to achieve a particular concrete goal uh, in ways that violate classical liberal principles, violate property rights, restrict freedom. If that attitude continues, well, it's always, if the attitude of, well, yes, if, if ever there's a, if there's a concrete goal that the government can solve today, the government should solve it, and let, let's forget about principles. As long as that attitude persists, Hayek says, we will move down the road to serfdom. But we're not destined to continue with that attitude. And so Hayek, much of Hayek's pleas, I think, can be best understood as pleas to, to regain an appreciation for the importance of sticking to principles, regain an appreciation of the importance of, of saying, look, yes, there is this particular goal that if it can be achieved today, that would be nice. But to achieve this goal requires violating classical liberal principles, and that will create a precedent that is very dangerous down the road because we won't be able to resist the urge to uh, 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 violate those principles again in an even worse manner tomorrow when another problem arises. And so I, I would say, I'll just use an example uh, that some of your readers, some of, some of the listeners may agree with, others will disagree with, but I think that the COVID restrictions, uh, even if we all agree that, that, that locking down today uh, is a way of, 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 of saving lives, 
uh, it's, a, it's no one doubts, no one can possibly doubt. It's an incredible violation of, 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 of human liberty. It's a great intrusion into the market order. Um, Hayek, I think, would say, yeah, so maybe it was worthwhile, but beware <laughs> that once we've taken that step, once we've violated the principle for that purpose, we are more likely to violate principles for, for, for somewhat less important purposes in the future. And as long as we do that, we are marching down the road to serfdom. So let's regain our commitment to principles and, 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 and not only stop, but to reverse the march down the road to serfdom. So those principles that you mentioned, um, you know, private property rights protection, uh, what were some of the other ones? <coughs> So, you know, basic things, private, private property rights protection, of course, bears a, a, a particular weight of importance uh, because private protecting private property rights means that each of us get to separate mine from thine. Each of us gets to say no. I, I can I, I can say no to Jeff Bezos, even though he's vastly richer than me. I don't have to use Amazon. I like to use Amazon because he makes good bargains, but I don't have to. Um, but, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, uh, uh, the, 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 the sanctity of contract. Uh, I, I borrowed money from you. Now I don't want to pay it back. And so the government can come in and make my life in the short term much better off by saying, oh, Don, I relieve your, your legal liability to repay Rosemary. And then at that moment, it's just a transfer. You lose what I gain. So at that moment, it's just a net, it's a, it's a zero sum transfer, but it in in longer run perspective, and I'm using language now that Hayek didn't use, but I think it's language that he would agree. The point is one he certainly would agree with. In the long run perspective, of course, once that particular uh, contract is violated, uh, it'll be easier for the government to violate contracts in the future, and which will make it then more difficult more, more difficult for people who need loans to get loans because people will be less willing to to lend. Well. Uh, when I lent in the when I loaned money to people in the past, uh, the government uh, arranged for them not to have to repay me. Well, I'm not going to lend money now. Uh, so, I think just the basic principles of private property, uh, 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 freedom of speech, freedom of association, sanctity of contract. Uh, these are simple in a way, but are vitally important uh, foundations upon which liberal civilization rests. And if they are chipped away at, certain if they're removed wholesale, liberal civilization cannot stand. It will collapse. I'm glad you brought up the example of the government's response to COVID-19, because um, I am curious, what would a Hayekian response to a pandemic situation look like? Or what might a Hayekian response look like? So as you know, it's a great question, and, 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 and I don't dare speculate what Hayek himself would have said were he alive in 2020 and 2021. And also, as you and I and the listeners know, the, 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 the responses of different people to the pandemic and to government's own response to the pandemic differ greatly. And so I don't want to presume that my own prejudices, my own attitude are ones that that the true Hayekian would have. But I will say that what, and I think, I think this should be uncontroversial, at least just as a positive analysis of how Hayek himself would have analyzed it, that Hayek would have been worried 
that the lockdowns and other mandates and interventions were done without adequate understanding and appreciation of the complexity of the economy and society that are being locked down. This the theme that you and I have hit hit several times in our in our discussion. But one of the reasons that I personally from from early on uh, was fearful of the lockdowns and and vocally opposed the lockdowns was not that I was in favor of people dying. Right? Of course not. Uh, uh, it's because it seemed to me, and I stand by this, it still seems to me that this was the case, seems to me that people who advocated lockdowns uh, uh, did not adequately appreciate the complexity of the market processes and social interactions that they were obstructing with these unprecedented uh, 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 blockages of, of human interaction. And, and, and so I, I worried that, uh, uh, that, that those obstructions would have incredibly damaging consequences. I think they have had damaging consequences. And I also worried, and I continue to worry, this is a point to, to, to tie it to a point we were making just a moment ago, that the precedent that has now been set uh, will come back to haunt us. Oh, well, we locked down when COVID came and you know people will argue that it, it saved lives or at least delayed delayed fatalities. So we have this, this you know new virus, COVID 2022 or you know what whatever. And so we have to do it again. And 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 uh, uh, look, it didn't lead to uh, the utter destruction of humanity that that that, that some hysterical people predicted. Uh, so we we can do it again. So I worry about the precedent that has been set. I, so I do I do think Hayek would say, you know, you cannot lock down an economy and uh, 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 fail to appreciate the complexity of what you're 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 destroying and what you're interfering with, without uh, uh, being willing. Or, 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 or without incurring what are sure to be unanticipated difficulties down the road. I mean, it's, it seems pretty obvious that the COVID restrictions are major impediments to how the market process works. And, and I think if, and I wasn't alive in the 70s to see, you know, gas shortages, but I was alive a couple of years ago to see lots of things disappear from shelves and in the grocery store to look very different than what I'm used to it looking like under normal times. The, an analogy I've often used, like all analogies, it isn't perfect, but an analogy I've often used is a, a jetliner flying through the sky. So, you know, to the naked eye, it looks pretty simple. It's a jetliner. Of course, you know, the naked eye doesn't see all the complex uh, interactions of the pieces of the motors and I would argue that a, that a modern economy is far more complex than, than, than a jetliner. But a jetliner is flying through the sky, and someone says, oh, you know, let's turn it off for a while. Uh, you turn it off, and we all know it's going to fall, uh, but, but we'll turn it back on before disaster strikes. Right? So your jetliner is flying, you, you turn the engines off, well, the thing starts falling. And maybe once you, you could turn the engines on and then sort of, you know, restore the thing to flight before it crashes to the ground. Uh, but that's a very dangerous move. And so I, in a lot of ways, the lockdown, the COVID lockdowns were, were, were like turning off the engines of this incredibly complex jetliner, the market economy that was running along pretty smoothly uh, in early 2020. And we just said, no, no, let's just shut it all down, shut most of it down. And I got to say, what surprised me, and this is 
I said earlier in different contexts, as I've grown older, I've become more and more impressed with the robustness of market processes. Um, the consequences of the shutdown, I think, it still remains to be seen. It's still playing out. The consequences have not been as calamitous as I as I thought they might have been. I think we're, we're seeing very bad consequences. I said I, I, I don't apologize at all for opposing the lockdowns and for the reasons that I did. But uh, I'm impressed by how robust the market is at, at, at recovering. The profit motive is a wonderful thing. It, if, there's, if, if people are willing to buy things, people are willing to go into business to make and produce and supply those things. And so uh, we, we, we might get out of this much less scarred than I uh, initially feared, but we won't get out of it without any scars at all. We, right. we will have the scars, I think, certainly, I think, Rosemary, for the rest of your life, certainly for the rest of my life. Definitely something that was unprecedented, for sure. One thing that Hayek um, kind of talks a little bit about in his work um, is social justice and the incompatibility with social justice goals and mm -hmm. you know, market economy. Mm -hmm. um, but today, social justice is very much a part of public discourse with you know, Me Too movements, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, climate and environmental justice, income inequality. Is there nothing that we can say about social justice from Hayekian point, I, point of view? Yeah, I'm an unreconstructed Hayekian on this point. I know a lot of my, uh, some of my libertarian friends disagree with me on this, but I think Hayek is, is, is correct, both as a, in a positive and in a normative way. Hayek's point, this is, comes up most clearly in volume two of Law, Legislation, and Liberty, which is subtitled The Mirage of Social Justice. And Hayek says, look, justice is, justice is absolutely essential for a good society. But justice by its nature uh, cannot be social. Justice is the, a term we use to describe how a one conscious being acts toward another conscious being. Well, society is not a conscious being. And we make, we court all kinds of error when we suppose that society is a conscious being. And so Hayek says, we want justice. Justice is me giving you what is due to you. Uh, uh, and, and that, of course, depends upon the relations we have with each other, contractual or not. You know, uh, uh, and, and, and that's where we should look for justice. What is called social justice is outcomes that appear to some, that appear uh, un unlikable to some people. In some cases, these outcomes are nothing other than the unavoidable results of trade-offs that are made. So pick, 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 pick an example. The, 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 the average wage for average earnings for women working in the workforce is lower than the average age for men working in the workforce. Just at, you know, all women, all men. And so this, some people say, well, this is an example of social injustice. Right? And, and Hayek says, no, it's not. It's, it, it, it's, it's, we didn't have society choosing uh, to, to, to pay women less than they pay men. Uh, uh, if we want to understand why this happens, why we get this result, we have to look at individual choices. And it, we, may, we may find that this outcome is the result of unjust individual choices, but we may find differently. And as, you, as, as I think you'll agree, what we find when we look at individual choices, we find that this pay difference dramatically shrinks 
women with the same level of education, working the same career paths as men, they get paid virtually the same as men. Women choose, for whatever reason, uh, some of them obviously biological, women uh, uh, choose to stay out of the workforce on average more than do men. You stay out of the workforce, you don't, you don't get the work experience. And so that's going to have an impact on measured average earnings of women, even if you as an individual woman have never chosen that particular career path. So Hayek is saying, Hayek says, I'm going to back up. Hayek says, look, uh, uh, because society is not a sentient creature, society is not capable of being just or unjust. Uh, and, 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 and it's dangerous to then treat society as if it's something we can scold and correct and, and, and punish or whip or reward in order to get it to be more just or unjust. If there are outcomes in society we don't like, we have to look at the micro foundations of where those out, what causes those outcomes. We may discover that in some cases, well, those outcomes um, they're not, they're not the result of any injustice after all. We might discover that, in fact, they are the results of some injustice. And so the best way to correct those is at, at, at the micro foundation to, to uh, 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 do whatever we can to get people to behave more justly toward each other. But justice is inherently an individual matter. And mm -hmm. I think Hayek was right to insist on keeping justice uh, recognizing that justice is an individual matter. Because, you know, in, in, in a way, if you don't, it kind of relieves individuals of having to be just. Oh, it's not my fault. It's society's fault. Well, no, society is not a sentient thing. It can't can be a, a fault of anything. Um, you know, there is an old, uh, I'll use an analogy, if you don't mind, there's an old, very ancient uh, 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 concept in, in English law called deodand. Uh, and so it, years, you know, it's, you know it's a millennia ago, a thousand years ago, if you're walking along, you're, you're walking beside someone's barn and uh, uh, the barn happens to collapse and fall on you or, or the bull breaks out of the barn and kills you, uh, the, then, then the bull gets blamed. We, we slaughter the bull um, as if the bull or the, or the collapsing barn roof has a mind of its own. And we know now that this is silly, right? I mean, if, if, if the barn roof collapses, it's not the barn's fault. We want to look at, for the individual actions that cause the barn roof to collapse. They may, be, they may be blameworthy. They may not be blameworthy. Same thing with the, causing the bull to, to escape. And so, but, if, but if we go about punishing the bull, thinking that we've done the job, okay, we're going to punish the bull. We're going to punish the barn. Uh, and we, we miss the real causes. And we can ex we, it allows us to excuse the actual individual's whose actions brought about these outcomes that we justly dislike. I think that's a very interesting uh, perspective for sure. Um, one thing I would kind of maybe push back on or ask a, a little bit more explanation about is that a lot of modern social justice movements are not necessarily about redistributive justice, mm -hmm. but they are about thinking about how maybe the concept of individual rights have not been perfectly applied to all groups. So to the extent that we might be able to alleviate some social justice concerns by extending those rights more broadly, that to me seems more, that, that seems 
to be consistent with with what Hayek would want. So, you know, here we're we're disagreeing then over the over the utility of the, the semantics term, and things. right? And, and 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 I think what Hayek would say, he would certainly agree with that end, the, the goal that you just described. But he would what he would say, and I would agree with him, and that we have to be language carries meaning. Language carries not only the the immediate obvious meaning; it carries a certain valence that gives him impressions. And uh, I think Hayek would warn. So you know, if we if we if we talk about social justice, that inevitably conveys the impression that there's this separate thing called society that is doing this. Mm-hmm. And that diverts our attention from the actual causes of what is bringing about these outcomes that we dislike. Mm-hmm. And so by all means, let's have justice. Uh, and by all means, let's make sure that everyone in society is treated equally. Uh, but if we call unequal treatment social injustice, then we're blaming some abstraction that 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 doesn't have a brain, doesn't have a will, doesn't doesn't act. We're br- blaming an abstraction, and that diverts our attention from where that attention is better uh, uh, focused, and that is on the individual structures, the individual decision making, the individual constraints and opportunities that bring about uh, about these these outcomes. Um, you know, so you, you, you think back, I'll, I'll pick a fairly uncontroversial one now, you, you think back in, in post-Civil War America with, with Jim Crow legislation. Right? And so some people say, well, this is, this is social, you know, social injustice. Maybe that's a harmless term that blacks were denied access to certain occupations to which whites had access to. Uh, uh, but, but we know now why that existed. There were certain whites who used the legislative process to enact statutes that prohibited blacks from gaining access to these occupations, that, that, that punished whites who would violate these statutes. So the injustice was not societies. The injustice was these individuals who were doing what they were doing. And that's where we should focus the attention. Okay. I like that. Um, one of the things I wanted to, I, I always like to ask my guest is, um, you know, what are some of the ideas or, or one big idea that you think is very misunderstood about Hayek? And so I know we talked a little bit about the road to serfdom. That's a pretty misunderstood idea. Uh, are there any other ideas that uh, in communicating them to, to uh, more modern audiences that maybe Hayek's message has been distorted a bit. Yeah, so the, you mentioned the big one. The, the, the big one is what Hayek meant by the road to serfdom. We've already talked about that. I think a second distortion of his misunderstanding of his ideas, and I, I've seen this uh, uh, misunderstanding evinced by people on the political left, people on the political right, people in the middle, is this notion that people will say something like, well, yes, Hayek was very brilliant in explaining why socialism can't work, and we we accept his idea now. Uh, uh, but but uh, no one's re- no one today is talking about returning to the kind of central planning socialism that Hayek uh, was arguing arguing against in the 1930s and 1940s. We're talking about a milder form of socialism, democratic socialism, and uh, and so Hayek isn't is not Hayek is not relevant here. 
Now, I mentioned this before, but, 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 but it's, it's worth emphasizing again. Now, I think Hayek is relevant uh, uh, because the, 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 the core of Hayek's argument is that uh, against socialism is that when you obstruct commerce in particularly in the means of, of production, you, you, you distort the information that producers need in order to produce efficiently. This sounds cold and technical, but if you're distorting information that producers need to produce efficiently, that means you are encouraging producers from, you're encouraging producers to, to, to wastefully use resources, to produce some output using more resources than would otherwise be necessary, meaning you have fewer resources left to produce other things to satisfy human, human needs. And so I would argue that uh, Hayek's arguments against socialism do not kick in as relevant only when we're talking about full-fledged uh, classic socialism of the sort that the central planners of 100 years ago wanted. Hayek's arguments against socialism apply today, and they apply with just as much force even to these more modified forms of socialism that people are now uh, all enthusiastic about. You give a great example in uh, the videos that accompany this Essential Hayek book. You talk about chocolate-covered pickles, which I think is a, a great, hilarious example. But it made me think about, you know, subsidies and the extent to which, you know, the government tries to encourage the market to innovate in particular directions. Let's subsidize renewable energy operations. So um, so I think there's definitely a lot of ways, even when we're not pursuing what we think of as mild forms of socialism, just regular policy interventions also have this characteristic of diverting resources away from you know, what people actually want. Yeah, so you know, as, as I mentioned, there are a lot. Of, there, there are increasingly large numbers of people now on the political right, the, the national conservatives, as they are now dubbed and dubbed themselves. Uh, they're, uh, they, you know, a lot of these people on the right, you know, they they're all enthusiastic now for for industrial policy, and they, they of course don't want to be called socialists, but but they their policies are in fact a form of socialism, not full fledged socialism, but but a form of socialism, and, and they should be rebutted as such. Well, I know Hayek has been a huge influence of yours. Um, do you, is there anything you think that Hayek got wrong? I think, I think Hayek uh, overplayed the importance of his trade cycle theory. I think it can explain why a downturn might persist. I don't think it can explain the, the persistence of, of many depressions um <laughs> yeah yeah i i i don't think hayek got much wrong actually um uh but i say that because hayek you know no one has been more influential no one has been as influential on my thought as hayek so i kind of consider myself to be this living carrier of hayek memes and so i'm not really the, the person <laughs> Um, I, I look at the world through Hayekian lenses. I, I think they are very clarifying lenses, but I'm aware that we all have lenses and lenses, no matter how clarifying, also have their biases. 
Well, you, one thing I love about you is that you do take the time to communicate these really complex ideas to diverse audiences with different levels of understanding, um, which is not something our profession always rewards, but you, you do take the time to do that. And I think you've done a great job today and in our previous discussion of, of boiling down Hayek's ideas and making, you know, his ideas can be really difficult to understand and, and you've made them really accessible. Um, at the end of the Essential Hayek book, you give a great list of recommended readings, not just for the advanced student, but for introductory students as well. Um, aside from those readings, do you have any recommendations for people who are interested in learning more? Any, you know, your blog, Cafe Hayek, uh, might be a useful resource, but any other blogs, any other kind of videos? Uh, so these are coming out constantly. Um, I, one of my favorite blogs, and well, Cafe Hayek's a favorite blog, but I write it. Um, but um, uh, Econ Log, which is uh, David Henderson um, and Scott Sumner uh, and uh, Pierre Lemieux. Econ Log is a very good blog. It's one that I that I read. I think a lot of the essays published at AIER now are excellent. Um, and I hesitate to say too much because I, I can't cover everyone. And a lot of right. people works I admire that I'm not going to say. Um, but but I mentioned one other book um, that. Uh, it's going to sound a little bit off kilter, but and it came out after the Essential Hayek was published. But but uh, Rush Roberts's book on Adam Smith, uh, what can Adam? What can, or how Adam Smith can change your life? Yeah, yeah. It it, it I mean it, 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 Smith was very Hayekian, or Hayek was very Smithian, and that that's a that's a wonderful and a wonderfully accessible book for I think conveying the the wisdom that Hayek and Smith shared and that they believe was essential topic of, you know, the title of these videos it was essential uh, for people to understand in order to have a flourishing, peaceful, liberal society. Well, thank you so much for your time, Don. We really appreciated yeah. chatting with you today. And um, I hope to be in touch with you more in the future. I always am reading your blog and as a Pittsburgh person, Pittsburgh native, um, <laughs> also a fan of your column. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's been fun and enlightening. Thank you. You've been listening to Essential Scholars, a new podcast series that explores the ideas and insights of some of history's most influential thinkers. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe and head over to essentialscholars.org to learn more. See you next time.